So we already heard a bit about uh, Sore Adventures on, uh, on uh, Friday, but I want to tell you that Friday was a feast day for me. What a feast day I had. It was like a rolling graze all day. Here's how it started, just to fill you in. So I started off, I turned up, went to the school breakfast program up at the, uh, up at, uh, the school here and um, walked in, getting ready for the Sore Adventures. You know, I got my bag and got all my things. This is the first day, a bit nervous. And I, I wander over to talk to Chris. He says, would you like some breakfast, Dave? And so lifted the lid and I had one of those lovely cheese and ham toasties that comes out of the uh, breakfast program. There it was, my first bite of the day. We then headed off in the bus up to Sore Adventures and uh, part of the Sore Adventures first day up at the zone playing laser tag. Yes, we take them there because, as I've said before, you can tell a lot about kids by the way they kill each other. Um, you know, you figure out who chums up, who's going to be good to each other, who's going who's to play nicely. All those things are good lessons. But we also have a sausage sizzle. Wow. So we had a sausage sizzle as well. There you go. Cheese and ham toasty in the morning. The sausage sizzle there. Went from there, straight from there pretty well. I had my boss with me and we went up to the old Bendigo office that is being renovated by the prison crew that painted our building out here. And we thought today would be a good day to say thank you to them and so we had a Kentucky Fried Chicken lunch. Oh yes, we did. Um, the Kentucky Fried Chicken pieces, I think, and should be called KFT. It was like Kentucky Fried Turkey. Huge. I don't know what had happened to those, those birds. But we had Kentucky Fried Chicken for lunch. We had salad. We had bread. We had a lovely pavlova. Thank you very much to John and Chris and, and Lucy for organising that uh, for those boys up there. Um, and then went from there, came home, and by that stage I was chock-a-block full, I tell you what, I couldn't get another thing in. And I came back and then in the evening we had pizza at the... Uh, I know, yeah, what, what a day. Uh, I had pizza at the, uh, at the uh, bowling green uh, and, um, and I didn't eat any, hardly any pizza at all. Uh, now, <coughs> actually... I think Linda took a picture of the pizza boxes. There must have been about, I reckon, 30 pizza boxes at, at, at the Bowling Green because we had such a big crowd there. But there we were. So it was like a big rolling feast all day. Um, and, and, and I've got to tell you that, uh, that um, right now what I'm picking up from you guys is you're thinking about the horrendous, horrendous low value in the food itself. Am I right? Some of you are shaking your heads pretty, 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 uh, you know, like, uh, judgmentally there, might I say. Just a little bit, but, um, but I can live with your judgment, I can, because, because I want you to capture something today about feasting that's nothing to do with the value or, you know, the, the nutritional value of food. That's a really distinctive Western thing we've done to food. We wander around the supermarket shelves and we're all looking at labels trying to check out whether this is going to be right, good, whatever, and we want organic, we don't want non-organic and all that. But I want to talk to you today about the connection, the connection that happened on Friday between ministry and food. And you might say, could they have had nutritional food and still do ministry? Maybe. But actually I'm going to tell you a story in a minute that will make you go, okay, I get that. So breakfast. We go to the breakfast program. Who's in the breakfast program here? Who, who's done that stuff here? 
few of you put your hands in the air. You know how it works. We've got hundred and something kids rock up most most weeks. And but what we've done in the breakfast, it's not about whether kids are hungry or not. It's actually you just know that some of those kids are hungry for love. And so so we've created this place and I, I love the way Chris described it. My Justin, my my my, uh, my mate from SU asked, Chris, tell me about the the breakfast club and Chris just spoke about how it's a place we create for kids to hang out with each other. So, it's a place to catch up with mates. So, so we go and be a mate in that place. And the food is almost irrelevant, but we're there to be a mate to kids. And I, I am always blessed on a Monday morning when I go in and I see Lindsay, Particularly, Lindsay's good at talking to the boys and the boys come up and they talk to Lindsay and he's like an, an elder mate for them to talk to. Someone like a grandparent. You know, a lot of kids think I've got really crunchy kind of family relationships. This is where they get to hang out with some grandparents. It's beautiful. When we did Saw, what we're trying to achieve by doing a sausage sizzle is just a small thing but how to show love through generosity. And so we adopt the position, if you like, when we're doing that sausage sizzle, thank you James Chapping, wherever you are, for, uh, for cooking it. Um, but, you know, we adopt the position of the blesser. We want to bless children, see? Now when we got to the love and prison, prisoners lunch, we kind of saw that as an act of gratitude. We, we wanted to do that luncheon as a way of saying thank you to these boys who have done so much for us. And so, so we adopted the position of the recipient of grace. They have graced us. Imagine that. These boys who are, you know, behind bars and kind of they get the sense that they've actually blessed us. How beautiful is that? Here's where I tell you about that thing, you know, like they said to us this. The reason we did Kentucky Fried Chicken was because I was joking the other day. Uh, I, I get their supplies and they said, and I just sang out, I said, so, so is there anything else you guys need from me? And Jason, one of the boys, said, you can get us a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> and I thought, serious? He says, yeah, serious. And so I said, right, when we have our celebration, we're having Kentucky Fried Chicken. And he said, I haven't had Kentucky Fried Chicken in seven and a half years. He said, we, we get steak. He said, we get barbecues every fortnight. He said, but he said, I haven't had Kentucky Fried Chicken in seven and a half years. And he loved it. We wanted to to really kind of like say we thank you so much. And when we came to the youth group on Friday night, well, that was kind of a big act of fellowship. The reason we use food there and pizzas are kind of like, it's a teenager thing, I don't expect most of you to get that. But we adopted the position of the welcoming host. You're welcome among us. How many of us? Now, um, I remember when we had the breakfast program starting off, very early experience of the breakfast program, we talk about this nutritional thing. I want to talk, I want to see, us, see if we can move away from thinking just down that line for a minute to think about the relationship between ministry and food. I remember the very early breakfast experience we turned up and they had, they were serving young people sourdough bread, stale sourdough bread with homemade apricot jam. Uh, how many kids do you reckon wanted to eat that? None. And the message you sent to the kids was, we're just going to force you to eat food. 
I'm going to say, parents, don't try that at home. Because you're going to have a lot of leftover food. But when you think about feasting, in the scriptures it means a whole lot different thing than it tends to mean in the Western culture that we live in. When you think about it, it's a prolific image in the scripture. And it was always much more than sitting uh, and consuming food. It was always much more than, than, than to gain nutrition. In the scriptures we see these images of feasting and they are full of significance. Like feasting was a sacred duty in the, in, in the scripture and was used to welcome strangers. There's a story in uh, Genesis 18, which uh, Phil's going to put on the screen for us, uh, Genesis 18, 3 to 8. And it's the story of Abraham. When, when visitors came to, to, to meet with Abraham, have a listen to this. It says, um, Abraham said to these visitors, they came into his camp, If I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and that you may all wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servants. Let me get you something to eat. Sounds like he's going to just, you know, maybe piece of cake, tea, something to eat. No. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried, check these words, hurried into his tent to Sarah. Quick, he said. Note that word. He said, Get three sears of finest flour, the best you can find, and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran, note that word, ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who, who hurried to prepare it. Note that word again, hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that they had prepared and set them before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. What a wonderful picture. Feast. He said, let me get you something to eat. I'm thinking, piece of cake and a cup of tea. That's what we'd do. No, he literally the very best. And notice that Abraham actually went and hand-selected, hand-selected the calf that was to be prepared. It was a, it was a hurry. It was urgent. It was very important that we do honour these people. It was used to welcome strangers. Food in the scripture is, is a very important ingredient to welcoming and having strangers feel like you belong with us. It was also used to settle disputes and restore relationships. A very important thing right through scripture. You know, it would be a really good study if you've got the time to go and just hunt down where it talks about feasts and see what feasts were all about in the scripture. But very interesting. In, in Luke 15, you remember we read the story of the prodigal son. I'm going to put it up for you so you can, so you can read it. And it says this. This is, this is from verse 20. But while he, this was the son who had, who had been, you know, a miscreant son who had, uh, misbehaved, spent half the family fortune on riotous living, uh, had no, had no, uh, no real, uh, claim anymore to be a son. It says this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
What does the father do? The father said to his servants, quick, word again, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. See, it was kind of a ceiling of, you know, forgiveness. If the son wondered, am I forgiven? The feast was absolutely the guarantee because that was what a feast was for. And he says this. The father says, well, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. It's like the reversal of all the brokenness. He was lost in his house. So they began to celebrate at a feast. You're getting the hang of this? Feasts are actually a really important uh, ingredient to, to ministry in the scripture. It's more than sort of like, you know, uh, ingredients on the side of a bottle. It's also used, the, the, the scriptures say that feasts were used to show honour to people. So like if you wanted to say to somebody, I honour you, nothing said it like a feast. In Luke 14, uh, just, before, uh, just before that chapter, we, we read this. In fact, there's a whole pile of scriptures and, and stories of feasts around this period in Luke's Gospel. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours, don't just honour the people you would ordinarily honour. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. See, feasts were used as a way of kind of, of honouring people. And you know, in Jesus' day, can I tell you, feasts were used to equals dishonour people. By who would be excluded from feasts? Who would not be permitted to join them at the table? Remember the story Jesus told about um, where you should find your seating plan at the feast, and everybody wants to sit right up by the host. And Jesus says, "No, no, you, you, you shouldn't do that. You should actually take the lower seat." It was always about honour. There was this massive honour culture in this day. I've spoken about this honour culture before. You must understand. Because if you don't understand it, we actually live in the dregs of it. We live in the dregs of it. We work out who's in and who's out. Who's right, who's wrong, who's worthy, who's not worthy. We have our own honour culture system. Not as blunt, maybe, and as bloody and ruthless as the... Uh, Day of Jesus, but we still have our ways of figuring out who belongs to us. Jesus cuts right across the honor culture using feasts. Which brings us to the particular feast, a particular feast that Jesus attended. I want to talk about particularly a bit more. And it was a feast, I'm going to call it Levi's Great Banquet, can I? And it's from Luke 5, 27 to 32. We're going to put it up on the screen. We're going to look at this for a moment. But before we do, I want to ask you to do something for me. Would, would you just switch your brains on this direction for a minute? Um, I want to ask you to keep one thought in your mind as we read this text. Just one thought. Would you do that? Here it is. I want you to reflect on what Jesus did 
alright? What Jesus did and to add to that, what does it mean for me to do what Jesus did? Because that's why we're here. We're here to learn about the ways of Jesus, are we not? We're here to learn about what Jesus would have us do. And what Jesus would have us do, he modelled and showed us what we should do. So I want you to keep this in mind. Hang, this, hang on to this as we go through this. What did Jesus do? What does it mean for me to do what Jesus did? And I want you to think about that at a deeper level than just the surface. So stop looking at the outside of the bottle to see how much nutrition is in the in thing. Would you mind? Think of it like this. Here we go. Into the scripture. So this is the story of Levi. It says here, After this Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, that's the story. You all know that story pretty well. It's middle of Luke, you know, favourite part of the scripture for most of us. But here's what Jesus did at a deeper level. And I want to kind of walk you through this. At this feast through this feast. And by the way, Jesus didn't throw this feast, but by being at the feast, he agreed with the feast. Does that make sense? By going, he's kind of by dint agreed. Here's what Jesus did at the feast. He made a statement. He made a statement. And here are the statements he made. By attending that feast, Jesus welcomed strangers. He did exactly what a feast would be for. By the way, if you think about that, the people who were present weren't strangers to each other at all. They were probably friends. The problem was, though, that they were friends and while they weren't strangers to each other, they were estranged from their community. Estranged from their people from their community. Now estranged means this. Once you were close, once you belonged, and now you don't. Once you were loved, but now you're not. To be estranged means that once you were part of it, but now you're not. We use this term estranged quite often when we think about families. When you hear a family member who says, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. I have nothing to do with you. And you know, I know many families, I know many people who live in families where uh, they've, they've just not been able to make bridges, they've not been able to build bridges of healing because there's been hardness of heart. That's an estranged family. You understand the concept of being estranged? Yep, you know people like that. 
So these these were estranged, these people at the feast, at the banquet, they were estranged from their community. They were Jewish, but they weren't permitted to live amongst Jewish people like they were properly Jewish because of their profession. Because of their profession as tax collectors, they were estranged from their community. They were labelled and they were subject to prejudice and they were deemed no longer welcome in their community. They were branded as outcasts. You know, I grew up as a child and I remember my Sunday school classes and we talked about outcasts all the time. Scriptural idea of people who were outcasts. Outcast means they've been pushed out or thrown out or left out. They're no longer in. But in this feast, in this banquet, Jesus invited them in. That's what he did. He made a statement at the banquet. By being with them in their banquet, he basically threw open the door of the kingdom and said, you can come in and experience God's love. As distinct from the people who are standing at the door saying, why is he eating with people who don't belong? Who should not be, he should not be in there. Why does your master eat with sinners and tax collectors? How disgraceful. He should eat with proper people. People who are already in. What did Jesus say? He says, not those that are in that I came for. It's those that are out. It's not the sick that need a doctor. It's the sick that need a doctor. It's not the well. It's the sick that need a doctor. So, first statement. Second, by attending the banquet, Jesus also settled a dispute and restored a relationship. Check this out. He not only welcomed strangers, but he changed their status. Changed their status. Not outcast anymore, but now included. You know, the invitation was given, but actually it was more than that. If we go to Luke 19, we see this story of Zacchaeus. Uh, we've been studying that recently in our missional communities. Uh, and, and look at what Jesus says. So this is, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. Why? We're going to your house for dinner. Another feast. You know, another banquet, another food and ministry joined together. And it caused the same eruption from the people who were standing around. What? It cannot be serious going to this man's house for a meal. But, that's just so wrong. And then we, we see that Zacchaeus kind of said, you know, I'm going to give half this day, I, I, I commit to give half my, my wealth to the poor. And if I had, if I had um, stolen anything from anybody, I will give them back four times over. Here's what Jesus says. He said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. It was a strange. Put you back in the past. You belong in the past. You're a son of Abraham. It's not us. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is saying, He's 
family. God is saying to me all the time, people I see around, they're family, Dave. Not outcasts, not outside, not out and we're in. They're family out there. Jesus gave his life for them. That's how much he loves his children who are lost. They're family. Your family. My family. If we are in Christ, if I belong to Christ's family, the whole world is my family. And I cannot sit by while family are estranged from God. Otherwise I'd say, who cares? What's it got to do with me? They deserve where they sit. They've made their mistakes so good. But I'm just happy to be here amongst them. This bit of a pain. I want to stretch your mind here a bit. See what Jesus is making statements here. By attending the banquet, Jesus not only did that, but he also gave honour to those who were present, who had been dishonoured. You know, talk, talk before about the honour culture. There were whole classes of people in Jesus' day who were stripped of their honour. In fact, it was your duty if you had lots of honour by human standards to make sure that people who didn't have honour had little honour. Your, your job was to strip them of honour and make sure they were reminded that they didn't have any honour. And so they were decreed worthless and pointless and unworthy. And that's how you, that's how you exclude people, basically. Just kind of seen as lesser women. You know, what's yesterday was the International Day of, is it yesterday or Friday? Friday, International Day of Women. Why do we have an International Day of Women? I'll tell you why, because historically, centuries, women have been, uh, less honoured than men. You might go, I don't agree with that. I go, I tell you what, Go and do a bit of a survey about the pay parity between women and males, and you'll see. There, so that's why we have that. And in Jesus' day, women were really dishonoured. The poor, the sick, physically and mentally disabled people, blue-collar workers were dishonoured. If you were a, you know, the story of Jesus coming and the shepherds come to the manger. That's no accident. They're the people who are outside and they're brought up right on the inside right early on. Other races were dishonoured. Tax collectors, definitely not on the honour list. And Jesus continually gave honour to those uh, who had had it stripped away. And he continually challenged those who were bent on stripping honour away from other people, which was a very dangerous thing to do. And here we are, first stages of our season events. When we arrive at the end of the season, we're going to discover what it actually cost Jesus to be the person who gave honour to people who didn't have honour. So we see this statement Jesus made. By attending the banquet, by attending the banquet, he welcomed strangers settled disputes, restored relationships and gave honour to those present who didn't have honour. 
look at them and go, that's who he is. Before I finish this off, in a couple of minutes, I want you to just pause for a minute, because I'm going to go back to that question I asked you before, you know, that thing I said, keep this in your mind. Uh, what did Jesus do? What would it mean for you to do what Jesus did at a deeper level? So I'm not suggesting you go out and find your H&R tax consultant, H&R block tax man and say, would you like to come to dinner? That's at a shallow level. But at a deeper level, what is God saying to you through his word today? I wonder if you might huddle up with a person, just one person alongside you. It could be your wife, I don't mind, or your husband, or a friend. Huddle up. I want to know, what are you hearing God saying to you today? What are you hearing? What are you hearing? There you go. Find someone to talk to. I should hear murmuring. Righto. If I can just break in a bit. Uh, that's good. When I speak, up goes the volume. Love that. No, that's good. That means you're going, no, we're in the middle of something. Let's get it. You know, it's great. All right. So I wonder, is there anybody here who would be willing to say, this is what I'm hearing today. This is what, this is what I'm hearing. This is what I've heard today. Not just from me, but what is God saying to you? Oh, the Lord's talking to me about unconditional love. To set, set people as they are, not to judge them. Anybody? Anybody? So, um, for those who don't know, I do a lot of work in the Tasman Soccer Club. Um, every year we deal with people, people's interaction with our soccer community. And uh, for the last few years we've had a family who are somewhat problematic to deal with and uh, they've been ostracised or estranged from the club and uh, we sat down during the week as a, 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 a leadership team and we had a, a conscience vote on whether or not we would completely ostracise them from that from that community this year. And uh, that vote came back as, no, we weren't going to do that. We were going to try and... Um, go to them and say, hey, you know, we, we understand the trust's been eroded, we understand you've been ostracised from our community, but we want you to come back and we want to work out how that's going to look. And, uh, it's a sort of practical application. That's really real for you. Yeah. Anybody else? Alright, Sue. On Friday, when it was International Women's Day, um, I came out of a shop and there were two women sitting in a car and the door was open. And so I thought, I just went up and I said, it's, did you know that it's International Women's Day today? And they said, no. And I said, well, it is. And I said, <clears throat> and, and they said, is that why we're not cooking? And I said, well, yeah, that's one good reason. But I said... Um, for everything you've been through, for all you've experienced in life, because I'm my age, and I said for everything you've been through and everything you've come through, I just want to honour you today. And they were absolutely gobsmacked. They loved it. And so um, I got home and I thought, what happened? 
happened? Why, why did I do that? But it was, it was led. I was Holy Spirit led. Just to speak into their lives. You know, um, just two strangers. And it blessed them and it blessed me, of course. And God was good. Anybody else? Just what have you heard before I just tie this together? Radio, back I go. <coughs> Hi. Um, I've got the situation at present where I'm of no fixed address and that's strange. I've sold a house. I've bought a unit. Fair enough, it's in a different state, but don't hold that against me. But just at present, I'm of no fixed address. And I was talking to a gentleman earlier on and saying that a lot of the homeless people are of no fixed address. I'm lucky enough that I'm retired. But if I was wanting to work, being of no fixed address has implications. Like, I can't get a job because I don't have a location, but I can't get out of my location because I don't have a job. And, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I was, um, thinking about filling in forms, as I tend to do. And it was interesting that some forms I had to lie and say that I lived with my sister in Adelaide because to have a car and have a licence had to have an address. With that, you had um, postal, uh, no, electoral issues um, and so I'm geared up to vote in South Australia, except that I'm not there, obviously. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's interesting. And Medicare doesn't like a post office box, well, particularly one where I was up in northern Queensland and um, I was doing volunteer work for my son. But I was out on the station and so I, Medicare didn't like the fact that I wanted to put Kings Plain Station as an address. And so, yeah, it was interesting. Anyway. Actually, that says to me, we've got systems in our nation that exclude people and that cause people to go, I don't belong. Um, you look around to see these, you start to become aware of it. You should build something in you that goes, I want to just think about that. I want to finish off here. Um, when I asked you that to keep your mind on this one thing, what did Jesus do and what would it mean for you to do what Jesus did at a deeper level? Three specific questions for you to take away from today. Who can you welcome who might be a stranger 
or who might be estranged. So you know what, if people can't quite figure out stuff with their family, their family of blood, and they belong to somebody else's family, is that possible? Uh, just something to think through. Who can you welcome? Like, is a stranger or maybe estranged? Who can you offer forgiveness and restoration to? Who can you lift up and honour? And the question I suppose ultimately Jesus might ask is, will you do that? Will you do it? Not just do you know where, but will you do it? And I want to say to you, use food if you have to, or everything's going to be helpful. Let me pray. Father, as we have uh, explored uh, how you, Jesus, used food and feasting and gathering to make a rich statement about what it means to belong, what it means to be restored, uh, what it means to be and I pray that we will take this lesson, we will take what we learn today, explore today, and it will help us to see when we use food differently than we would normally see it. I pray that it will help us to see that the times when we're together in hospitality with people, it gives us an opportunity to do what you did, Jesus. Help us to do what you did, I pray. And as we do that, Lord, I pray that we be a blessing to those around us. And that'll be a blessing to our own heart, Lord Jesus. But more than we pray, be a blessing to us. We ask you.